as we do indeed kick off a Thursday finance. Stephen Pritchard is here. G'day, Stephen. Hi, Mark. Look, a big program today, something that uh, may affect a lot of folks who we'll be talking about a bit later on, setting up a family trust. Yeah, family trusts are becoming more common and then a lot of people hear them on the hear them on the news and that, understand what they are, so I thought we'd have a bit of a chat about that today. All right, we'll do that and also canvas a lot of the big uh, stories that are happening in the world of finance. Of course, Henry away this week. Henry's away this week. So you, you're up to the task. I'm, You've got him ready? I'm, I'm up here by he's, myself. He's, hey, with you. Well, we're ready to go. Good afternoon, Mark Rook, with you with the man that actually knows probably a lot more about money than, than at least I do. Is Stephen Pritchard and Stephen, let's have a look at the currencies and commodities around at the moment. Oh, it's a bit of an interesting week this week, Mark. Um, the gold price. It's a bit of a change, as you always say. Not much happening this week. Well, the equity market there was much happening, but there's the because the Saudi Arabia oil refinery got partly destroyed, so that's that's made a difference. Had an interesting effect. Um, the gold price was up which was surprising, wasn't that much. It was up 1.2%, uh, $27.31 an ounce to 1299 Someone came out with some research during the week that said the gold's going to get to $10,000 an ounce. Okay. So <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Um, the, copper, the copper price was up uh, $70.44 a tonne to $8,432. And the crude oil price was, was up, surprisingly, only $4 a barrel to $92.97. Um, it's probably because it's mainly going to affect the refined products and not the crude oil production. Um, and the currencies... Um, a bit of a mixed bag there. We were down against the US dollar to eighty three to to sixty eight point three cents. Uh, against the Great British Pound, we're down to fifty four point seven five uh, pence. And the euro, we were down um, to sixty one point nine one euro cents. So basically, small downward movements there. Um, the equity markets, the all ordinaries was up twenty five point six points to six thousand seven hundred ninety one. Points, uh, so we're slowly clawing the way back to seven thousand. Uh, the S and P five hundred was down two point eight points to three thousand six point seven three, and the UK FTSE index was down thirty point six to seven thousand three hundred fourteen point oh five. I mean, you would expect with all the doom and gloom that's coming out of BREX that that UK FTSE was dropping, but it's not. It's not actually dropping. So, so the market doesn't seem to think whatever exits are going to occur is going to. It's going to have any effect, really. I know we sort of say this every week that um, you say that the the British market seems to be fairly stable, considering what the yeah. what you hear in the media a lot with Brexit happening, not happening. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's it's, it's yeah. It's obviously saying the market must think that politicians have got no effect. As a surprise. <laughs> uh, anyhow, back to um, some stocks local investors like to hold. Um, We've done okay here this week. Uh, BHP was up 82 cents to $37.79. Um, CBA was up 39 cents to $81.74. And NIB was up 34 cents to $7.51. And Telstra was down another 4 cents to $3.55. And the fuel prices, um, the unleaded fuel price in Newcastle was up $5.20 a litre to $1.41.2. Uh, in Sydney, was up 17.9 cents a litre, which is a big jump there, uh, $1.51.3. Um, and the diesel price in Newcastle was steady at $1.47, and in Sydney was steady at $1.44. We're going to start uh, this afternoon talking about milk. Yeah, so it was interesting uh, during the week. Um, 
um, uh, the China Mingyu Dairy Company made a takeover offer for uh, a Bellamy's of $12.65 a share plus $0.60 cents special dividend. Now, this, this Chinese company is listed in Hong Kong. Um, the Chinese government's one of the major shareholders. Now, the offers the offers are 59% premium to the last sale price of $8.32 before the offer. But the interesting thing about this, and there's a lot of conspiracy theories going around, Bellamy's, Bellamy's share price has fallen 62% over the last 18 months from uh, $22.08 in last March. And that the principal reason that, it, that, that it's fallen is that um, China's introduced new regulatory requirements for the sale of uh, infant formula into China, and there's been continuous delays by the Chinese government to uh, to issue uh, new licences to, to Bellamy's to enable them to sell their infant formula into uh, China. So, of course, the conspiracy theories are now saying that um, the Chinese government's deliberately delayed with the, uh, issuing this licence, the share prices fall, and now a company associated with the Chinese government is now bidding for Bellamy's on the cheap. So, so if you hold it, off a bit longer, uh, you get it at a song. Yep. Yeah, so it does have to go to the uh, Foreign Investment Review Board, so it's going to be interesting to see the outcome on that. Uh, we think uh, they're likely to rubber stamp that or potentially not. Because um, there's a lot, a lot of talk politically around China at the moment. Yeah, previously the FIRB has been rubber stamping things, but but the last the last couple of things, like there was the approval for... Um, they're getting very sensitive about agricultural-type industries. I mean, they knocked back the Grain Corp takeover from the Canadians under um, national interest grounds. They knocked back the takeover of uh, S. Kidman and company by uh, Chinese interests under um, defence grounds, which is S. Kidman's the old Sydney Kidman cattle empire, um, so that was up for sale, and so they knocked back the takeover. That. So, so it, it would be interesting to see um, what, one of the a couple of the Tasmanian parliamentarians have already called for it to be uh, knocked back, but but be interesting to see what happens play out. So, you know, if you've got some Bellamy shares, probably just sit on them for a bit. Alrighty, uh, let's uh, take a look at the world of aviation. We've got Qantas well, and Virgin. Qantas, not happy. Qantas and Virgin. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, there's a few stories here about Qantas and Virgin, so we'll probably cover them all in one go. So, Qantas and Virgin are complaining about the airport charges. So, so what 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 ha- basically happens is that um, when, when Qantas lands and Virgin lands at the airport, the airport charges them a fee for per passenger to to go through the airport and that that's to cover you know the maintenance of the airport the security at the airport and, and 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 all those associated things so it's it's per passenger not a flat fee it's per passenger okay. i understand most of the airports are per passenger so why would they be upset i mean if their plane's only half full they only get charged half well they, they reckon they reckon that the the, the 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 airports are overcharging them and that's why the t- well that's why the ticket prices are so high. Now, the Productivity Commission is supposedly going to release a report the next week or so, but that's uh, sometime, um, about uh, airport charges. Um, and and the general thoughts is that, that Qantas and Virgin are, uh, are putting this up as a bit of a smokescreen because there's been complaints from a number of businesses and people use the airlines a lot about the excessive charges that Qantas and Virgin are making um, for their tickets. And it's now become so big that the Sydney to Melbourne route has now been said to be the um, second most profitable in the world. 
Well, wow, just such a small, you know, an hour trip like that. It's and the amazing. other interesting thing that put these charges at the airports are making uh, into um, in a context that the four the four largest airports in Australia, which is Sydney, Brisbane, uh, Melbourne, and Perth, I assume. Um, uh, Make less profit put together than Qantas does. So, so, uh, and of course, then there's the issue about Alan Joyce's. Well, I was a little looking at that. I was thinking if they want to save a couple of bucks, well, I, I know yeah. where they could shave a little bit here. Yeah, so Alan, Alan Joyce, the CEO of Qantas, his earnings last year was uh, $23.88 million. Um, and it's 275 times the average wage. <laughs> so, um, in one case, we're talking about um, airlines and airports overcharging, um, but Qantas still seems to be making uh, plenty of money, plenty and plenty of money. Well, some are making plenty of money. Some are making plenty of money. Uh, BHP, what's happening there? <laughs> well, BHP um, has this executive bonus scheme and... and um, they all have something Yes, like they that, all have they? something. Now, now BHP's interesting, though, but BHP's... Uh, having to wind it back because they've calculated the national amount of bonuses that the uh, executives are going to get um, and um, the term was they're monster bonuses and they're so high that it'll be embarrassing to the company so they must be huge. So they haven't actually announced the numbers but they've decided to wind them back. Now the interesting thing about these bonuses it, and companies like BHP are... are, 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 are you know, interesting because... The bonuses, the, the excess profits, the big profits that BHP is generating are basically coming through increase in, in the commodity prices. And that has got absolutely nothing to do with the executives of BHP. And if you look at the profitable assets that are generating these returns, they're the ones that they've had for decades. They're the iron ore mines they built in the 19... Bought in the sixties and seventies. It's got nothing to do with the current, you know, current executives of BHP. They happen to have been there at the right space. The price of the iron ore has gone up. The price of the oil's gone up. Then they get to say, "Hey, all this has happened because at the time I've turned up. Look at how I great." That's right. So um, yeah, I mean. Companies that have had these type of assets in place for decades, and the current people are getting bonuses from it's just. But you know, if they're winding them back, they must be. They must be so big they were going to be embarrassing. All right, we need to look at oil too. Yeah, oil. Now this is interesting as well. Exxon, which is for those people with long memories, Exxon and BHP were the joint venture partners that discovered the original Australian oil reserves in Exxon uh, in Surrey Bass Strait, which is um, still being used today and produces a lot of the East Coast gas supply. Exxon, for some reason, others decided to ex- exit the Bass Strait business and they've put their share of the joint venture up for sale. So that, that will be interesting to see what price they get and who bids for that. And uh, a little bit more oil. Uh, you, you're saying that oil producers, yeah. So, so oil producers, um, oil producers are expecting increased profits because of the the, the attacks in Saudi Arabia, um, which means that the Saudi oil refinery is going to be out of capacity for a while, and that means that um, other refineries are going to be looking at other sources of oil to push through their refinery. So, some of the Australian oil producers are saying they expect their profits to be up, but time will tell. And uh, very finally today, Stephen, uh, 
have the Ramsey Healthcare. They're looking internationally. Yeah, Ramsey Healthcare. Ramsey's that largest private hospital operating in Australia. Shareholders have done very well out of that. Um, Ramsey thinks that the growth opportunities in Australia are, are limited, so they've been looking overseas for a while. They've they've bought an operation in uh, France, which hasn't uh, hasn't been as nearly as successful as the Australian operation, and they're now looking at um, um, buying some private hospitals in Germany. Oh. Um, you know. A lot of these companies go overseas and it doesn't work out as well as it does here. So let's just hope that... uh, Hopefully they know what they're doing. We have seen that not work out a couple of times. Bunnings and, you know, the list goes on. And a couple of others. Stephen, a couple of calls coming your way at the moment. Good afternoon. Firstly, uh, Carolyn, you're looking at investment bonds for the grandkiddies. What's going on there, Carolyn? Oh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Um... I have, um, over the last four years, I've put some money into AMP investment bonds for my grandchildren. Yep. Um, and I had a, just a couple of questions that I'm sure Stephen will have no trouble answering. Um, does he still think that they are a, um, a good invest- investment option, um, given that this AMP is selling off their life business? And secondly, are there better products available that don't cause tax implications for... Ah uh, well, so well, well okay. So investment, yeah, okay, that's that's okay. So investment bonds for for for, for people who don't know um, the listeners who, who aren't aware of, uh, they're they're really not a bond. What they are is they're really a single premium life insurance policy, and that's why you mentioned AMP because the life companies issue them. And and the advantage is that you put the money in the in the um, investment bond, um, the life company pays the tax on the earnings on the way through at thirty percent, and then when you after to 10 years, the bonds paid out to the grandchildren or whoever the owner is uh, tax-free. Yeah. Um, um, the, the, as far as I know, they're, they're probably the only product that's available that won't affect the, the uh, parents' taxable income. Um, um, but they are paying a tax rate at 30%, so you probably need to look at um, what the parents' taxable income, if you're going to look at that angle, and if the parents' taxable income is below 30%, it might be better off just um, buying some shares in one of the big investment companies. Now, the return on the bonds is... is and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with what AMP offers, but generally the um, investment bonds uh, products have a have various underlying portfolios that are offered um, and the returns on those bonds should be about the the index on those underlying portfolios less the 30 percent tax so what right. you need, what you need right. to do is say do you know which option you're in I'm in the um, Australian shares option okay so what you need to do is have a look at the the, the return on that compared to what the return is on the ASX um, 300 probably right same, okay. same period of time but remember the asx 300 is not paying any tax and you need the asx 300 accumulation index the asx 300 is not paying any tax but the investment bonds paying 30 percent tax on the yes. game yes okay okay and and you still think the amp ones would be safe given that they're Share price oh, dramatically oh, well, falling. The share, the share price. Yeah. So the bond, the bonds will be issued out of the statutory fund, which is uh, regulated by APRA, and it's really got nothing to do with the share price. Um, other than that, I, I, I don't know whether they're safe or otherwise. I, I would assume they're safe, but if, if, if they're in, if they're in a um, equity Australian share fund, if the market goes down, the bond value will go down as well. Yes. Yep. yep. Okay. Yep. 
Okay, thank you very okay. much. And I love your program, Stephen. Thank you. Good to hear. Good. Thank okay. you. Thank Thanks. you very much, Carolyn. Appreciate all of that. Uh, Dudley, good afternoon to you, Dudley. You're looking uh, at intellectual property this afternoon with Stephen. Oh, yeah. Good day, guys. How are you? Good. Uh, you just some question. I just can't understand it. But in, is it intellectual property or intellectual real estate? I've been trying to find some books. What does that actually mean? Oh, I've never heard of intellectual real estate. So okay. intellectual property is, that, uh, is, is a broad um, term that's used for a number of type of assets that... that that um, are not kind of physical assets. So, for example, um, a copyright on a book would be classified as intellectual property. A copyright, oh. a copyright on a, um, a, a, a music, music is yep. intellectual property. Um, plans for the construction of a new building would be classified oh, so as... It's not actually buying a physical asset at that point in time. Ah, it's just, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's right. But there are markets... Um, um, for this intellectual property, um, yeah. I don't know if they exist in Australia, but the, but there are markets, and some of this intellectual property, like um, Robert Holmes, of course, paid a lot of money for some of the the Beatles um, uh, copyrights. Um, oh, right. Okay, so all those things um, sell on markets and are offered from time to time. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you very much, Dudley. Carol, you're looking at buying some gold. What's what's going on, Carol? Hi. Uh, yeah, look, I was just, um, with the interest and in that that you're getting in the bank on with tax, and it, look, it looks like everything's going down again, um, would it be a good idea to look at buying some gold? Oh, we, we really can't kind of give um, personal advice here. Um, but, but, you know, generally, if you've got a sufficiently large portfolio, um, it doesn't hurt to have some gold represented in there, either in the form of uh, gold mine, gold-producing companies, or if you want physical gold. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, and my friend was sort of mentioning that the other day, and, I, you know, okay. I'd never thought about okay. it. So okay, so you can buy... There's a couple of ways you can, go, you can buy physical gold. Um, you can open an account with Perth Mint, um, Who? Perth Mint. Oh, Perth Mint. Yes, they, right. they can open an account with Perth Mint and you can uh, buy the gold off them and I understand you can open a gold account, a gold savings account I think it's called, and instead of the account being denominated in dollars, it's denominated in ounces of gold and I understand that you can request delivery of that as well over a certain amount. Um, there's, right. there's things on the Australian Shock Exchange called... Uh, ETFs. Um, there's two that I know of. One's called PM Gold and one's called GOLD, they're trading codes. And they they sell you underlying um, exposure to the gold products. Okay. Right. Or, uh, That's PM Gold. PM, I didn't know there was all these things. PM Gold um, or, or GOLD. Yeah, so they're the easy solution. Perth Mint, Perth Mint is, um, th- that's a... Uh, guaranteed by the Government of Western Australia. And then if you want some physical gold, Perth Mint will sell you physical gold for delivery. And I think there's a firm in Sydney that you can buy physical gold from as well. Um, but bear in mind, mm. now, now the, 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 the smaller the size of the gold you buy, the more you're going to pay because there's a certain amount of fabrication costs involved in the, in the gold. So, right. so an ounce bar is not going to be the same price 
per ounce as a five ounce bar. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. So, and you mentioned the gold price before. So, um, that's, that's one like ounce. One thousand one hundred or something. No, two thousand two two thousand one hundred ninety nine. But you won't you won't be able to. You won't be able to go and buy one ounce of gold for two thousand one hundred ninety nine dollars because that right. would that would be on the hundred ounce bar. Now it costs more to manufacture the one ounce bar, and and there's also some. Um, I think there's Perth Mint's got coins as well that are gold, and then there's sovereigns that are gold. So there's a raft of ways you can get it, but generally the smaller the quantity you're buying, mm-hmm. the more you're going to pay. Thank you so much, Carol. Hope uh, okay, Sam was well, able to help thanks. you out with some of that there. Thanks very much. Yeah. The gold, sorry, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the gold savings account, where do you get those? Uh, Perth Mint. Oh, that's all through Perth Mint. Perth Mint. You, 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 need, oh. you need all the ID you, you need to open a normal account, that one, all your identification and any money laundering stuff. Wonderful. Oh, okay. Yep. Wonderful, Carol. Thank you so much for that. Thursday Finance with Steve on Pritchard. Steve, we've got to have a look at uh, family trusts in the five minutes we've got left because every now and then there's a bit of a bit of a hoo-ha about them. Yeah, there's a bit of a hoo-ha about them, mainly by people who don't understand them. So I thought we'd have a, have a, have a talk about that today. And... Well, well, let's get into that. So uh, okay. a family trust, by definition, what, what do they generally look like? Uh, well, they're generally a, a piece of uh, paper with a trust in I knew that was happening. coming. Okay. So <laughs> what, 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 the, what they're basically used, for is um, a couple of things they're used for is um, the major one is asset protection um, and to hold uh, assets the family wants to hold for for a period of time. A a lot of family farms are held by um, family trusts so you can pass them from one generation to the other easily and uh, and people who are in litigious um, professions tend to also use family trusts to hold their assets. Uh, Are they something that most people would benefit from or not necessarily um, yeah the average person if they've got if they've got a if they've got a significant amount of investments um probably a family trust structure is useful to hold those investments depending on the circumstances now one of the other one of the other advantages of that is you can keep control of the the trustee can keep control of the capital of the trust and distribute the income out to whoever you want from year to year changes from year to year uh, if, if anyone's wanting to jump in and, and and look at a family trust, are they sort of hard to set up and get going? No, they're, they're pretty much standard. If you if you do, if you don't want anything particular, um, you know, you, you basically need what you need is a settler, who's the person who starts the trust off, and that's usually um, quite often the accountant or the solicitor or a family friend, um, and they usually gift some money to the person called the trustee, and we always recommend that you use a company as the trustee. Um, for a lot of technical reasons, that's 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 the best solution, and particularly because the trustee's got, um, uh, if the company's got no, um, it's got perpetual life, unlike an individual trustee, and then you need the uh, beneficiaries. So basically, the settler hands across some money to the trustee, makes a doc a document called the uh, trust deed and it basically says how the trustee can deal with this money and who the list of potential beneficiaries are. Now, usually in a family trust structure, the beneficiaries the p- beneficiaries are generally defi- used as definitions instead of names. So you would say, say, for example, 
Mark um, is the principal beneficiary. Then Mark's like the sound of that. Mark's yeah. parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters and children and grandchildren are all discretionary beneficiaries. So what the trustee does then at the end of the year, they've worked out how much money they've made um, prior to the 30th of June. The trustee then sits down and decides who that income is going to be allocated out to each year. And that can vary from year to year. So if, if one of the children's done something you don't like, so you don't want to give them any money, uh, the trustee doesn't have to give them any money. Okay, that's a, a very interesting point there. Now, are there circumstances where people can set up a family trust and they, 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 it turns out it's not the thing to do or the ways people get into trouble? Uh, yeah, yeah you, can, you can undo them. Um, the major issue about undoing them is if, you, if you've transferred some real estate in there and then you want to undo the thing, um, you're going to be up for stamp duty to generally up for stamp duty to transfer the real estate back out. Um, uh, I, I, I can't think of any reasons why you'd want to want to do that, um, but you know, there's always a reason. Um, and then there might be a capital gains tax liability on any of the assets that have been transferred in, then you want to transfer back out. Generally, um, if they're just used for investment vehicles, I, I, I can't generally think why you would want to un, undo them. But but can, are there situations where people can get into trouble with them? Not really? Uh, not really. Uh, we've never known anyone to get into That's trouble. That's good. Um, I, I, suppose it, I suppose it's where you sit, though. I mean, um, getting back to the example, um, mum and dad set up this family trust and they control the trustee and decide that they don't like one of the children and, and distribute the money to the other one. Um, that child who's been left out um, might not be very happy, but there's not much they can do, so I suppose... Uh, they wouldn't be happy with the family trust. Would would, would that be a contestable situation down no. the road? No, it's not contestable. Okay. All the trustee has to do is is consider the beneficiaries, and then make in a properly worded trustee. All the trustee has to do is consider the beneficiaries, and then make a decision. Um, they don't have to give any reason. Uh, but but bear this is a difference between if you gave the capital to the child, and then there was a falling out or they had a spouse that you didn't like and and, and then they went through some family law court matters and the spouse ended up with half the capital. Um, that doesn't happen in a family trust because the children aren't entitled to the capital. All they're entitled to is the income that you choose to hand over each year. So it can be used to protect the family wealth from, um, you know, family law court matters and, and fortunate situations like that as well. Alrighty, so uh, something to think about as always, of course, make sure you get uh, some uh, decent advice in and around any investment matter. Yep, and you need to get a bit of legal advice on this as well. Sounds pretty good, Stephen. That's it for Thursday Finance. You're off Thanks, for Mark. a bit of a break. You'll be back in a few weeks. Mark will be, uh, sorry, uh, Brett will be here next week and it I'll be, be back the week after. As will Jane. Alright, that's Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard on the run up to one o'clock. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.